Well, we are going to share one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Uh, it is a fulcrum, a hinge point um, for what God is doing in the world. Uh, we pick it up at Genesis 12, sharing God's good word with me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I'm Krista Cahill, and this is Keegan and Xavier. At the boys' request to start going to church, we started shopping for a first a denomination and then a church, and the feeling and overall fit of Acts 2 is what brought us here. Well, we came for a while, and we just came on Sundays and didn't really do anything, but one year, Melissa came and asked us if we wanted to go to church camp and we decided to go and from there we just started going to youth on Wednesdays and made friends and just kept coming back. We got connected through SOS over the summer last year. SOS stands for service over self and basically we helped, we went to Memphis, Tennessee and helped by repairing roofs for people. Yeah, I feel like having a place where we can do our like fun activities, but also where we can sit down and worship and do normal things we do on Wednesdays would help us all. Because right now we're going from the sanctuary to the elementary school down there. Acts 2 has been a spiritual blessing to not only my life, but to see them grow spiritually. Jesus is a regular word around our house now. And... Before 2012, it, he was not. So it's definitely changed our house. Amen and amen. The people of God say, amen, amen. amen. We are uh, worshiping a God of miracles, and we are in this time of preparing for the kids. I want you all to pray for me uh, this morning, because just a few moments ago, I was surprised by my good friend, Audra, over here. It's her first time back in church since she's been taking chemotherapy. And so we've been praying for you over the last three weeks. And we are so glad to see you. It took my breath away to see you this morning. And thanks for the hug. I appreciate that. Uh, but y'all pray for me or I'm going to just cry like a baby through this whole sermon. So anyway, um, thanks for being here. It made my day. This is awesome. So we are talking about what I think is perhaps one of the most important things in the Christian life. It might be news to you today. So if, if, if what I'm talking about is new to you or like I haven't ever heard that before, hang in there. It's super important. Super important. Uh, yes, there's a part of, of this um, that is about our unique call to uh, build a new roughly $3 million facility to our south uh, for the kids and the youth of our area so they can connect to Jesus. Um, one of the reasons we know this is so important, uh, this preparing for the kids, is because of what Keegan and Xavier said. Uh, I want you to, to hear what they said. And that was what the way Jesus really became real to them, the way they began to step into that. The first was summer camp summer camp. Uh, that summer camp, uh, Melissa was there, Chantel was there, I was there, we walked with these kids. Uh, we had a whole bunch of kids that year. Uh, I don't know, it felt like a million, probably just about 40. Um, but here's the thing, uh, I've deemed that camp, it's called Dayspring. Uh, Melissa has deemed that camp as well. And, and the thing is, as soon as we finish Dayspring, it normally is the second week of July roughly, is, is that when it is this year? Okay. Um, 
there's something called a design team, and that design team goes through and says what worked, what didn't work, what needs to change, and we begin, and it takes an entire year to prepare for those kids, for those hundreds of kids that come from all over the state, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders. Now, if you don't think preparation is important for hundreds of 9th through 12th graders, you are wrong. We know when they wake up. We know when they go to bed. We know what they eat. We know when they eat. We know if they eat. We know their medications. We know when they get them, who gives it to them. We have a nurse on staff. We, we know when they're in small group, when they're in free time, when they've had too much free time, when we get them back in groups, when they get to worship, the whole thing. And year after year, night after night, the very Spirit of God comes in and blesses these students every year. We see it every year. When you talk to students, they'll talk about the Thursday night of summer camp down at uh, Lake Texoma. Uh, or at Canyon Camp, or up at Camp Egan. But if you're going to have a blessing for hundreds of kids, it takes, say it with me, preparation, doesn't it? You think that you're going to get hundreds of kids and just wing it? Oh, no. No, no, that is a mess. That is chaos. The other thing uh, that they said was about SOS, service over self. This is where we take students to Memphis. Uh, this was a work project that began uh, more than 20 years ago during the Civil Rights Movement. And they now, uh, cross-racially, cross-economic uh, groups, uh, we have kids from Edmond, uh, mostly white kids, uh, go to Memphis and work on largely African-American homes uh, with folks who cannot fix their roof. Now, again, do you think it's a good idea to take you know, 20, 30 kids to go get on top of roofs in Memphis? Um, and a very diverse, different population than what they're used to with no preparation? Is that a good idea? No! We absolutely prepare. We do background checks. We do checks on leaders. We check the tires on the trailers. I mean, we check everything these days. And we make sure that the kids know how. Even We've already started their training. They know how to use the tools. They know how to be safe. They know how to use the safety harness that keeps them on the roofs. That's a bad trip when the kids are off the roof. When they get up on the roof, then you stay on the roof. Right? So we train and we Say it with me, prepare, right? This is how God's work gets done. God calls, God leads, and we prepare with God for where God wants us to go. That's true not just for summer camp and not just for SOS. It's true for all of our lives. The question for us is, God is good how often? All the time. And all the time God is good. So when God calls us, how do we co-labor, co-partner, co-work with God to bring heaven to earth? to participate in God's goodness for us and for those around us. Last week, we looked at sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something of value, something that, say it with me, good, right, not bad, for something of greater value, which is, say it with me, better. Now, in the beginning of the Christian life, we don't do much sacrifice. It feels like sacrifice, but it's not. In the beginning of the Christian life, we're doing good versus bad. Good versus evil. My, my life on my own, uh, lived for myself. I used to do bad stuff, and now I try not to do that bad stuff. It feels like a really big deal at the time when you're moving out of the old life into the new life with Jesus, where Jesus is in charge. But to be fair, it's pretty simple. It's pretty clear. You know, I used to live this way. Now I live that way, right? But for most of us, the, the sort of big, bad, evil stuff is not on our radar. We, we're not really struggling with that anymore. Our choices today are between good and good. That's much harder to know. It's much more subtle, and it takes more prayer work, more preparation, more intentionality to know what God wants us to do. The choice between good and good, or something of value good and something of greater value better. Make sense? It just gets harder. 
uh, more difficult to discern. So today we're going to talk about discernment. How do you know what God wants you to do and how do you live into it? Uh, I would submit this to you. I think this is absolutely true. The big lie in our culture today is that life just happens to us. Don't you hear people say that? Oh, life happens. Oh, it's all good. You know, it all happens for a reason. You know, it's blah, 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 blah. No, that's not true. Ask any kid who's about to take their finals tomorrow. Right? I didn't go to class. I didn't read the text. I didn't study. It'll be fine. Rarely. Right? Rarely. I mean, get ready to fail or or repeat the course. The most important moments of our life require, say it with me, preparation. Now, think about when you had your first child. Didn't you prepare? Please say yes. Please say yes. Yes, right? You read the book, didn't you? You got the big, thick book. It was so thick. And, and it said, so if you read it with me, what to expect when you're expecting, right? And I, I read parts of that. scared me to death. I closed it. And Chantel said, keep reading. So I had to keep reading, right? I mean, the big things in our life, high school graduation, graduates, listen up. This won't be the last time you need to prepare, right? College. For some of you, grad school, trade school, work, on-the-job training, all of that requires your best efforts, your preparation. It's a witness to the world. Now, one of the things that I hope that you know, uh, but maybe this will be news to you as well, is that truth is truth. Say that with me. Truth is truth. I believe that truth is self-authenticating, that you actually know truth. It has such a weightiness to it when you hear it, that the truth is truth. Here's the thing that a lot of Christians don't understand. Truth is truth whether you're a person of faith or not. Gravity is gravity whether you believe in it or not. Truth is truth. So if you walk into God's truthfulness, whether you believe in him or not, good things will still happen. Right? The scripture says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Right? Right? Back in 1979, uh, they surveyed Harvard uh, Masters of Business Administration students. Right? The best of the best at the top of the top. uh, Super sharp Harvard folks. 1979. And they asked them this one question. Have you set clear, written, underline written, goals for your future and made plans to accomplish them? One question. Have you set clear, written goals for your future and made, points, uh, made plans to accomplish them? All right. 3% said yes. 3%. These are Harvard people. I'm like, come on. You're Harvard MBA, master's students. You, like, 3% had written goals and plans. Next, and I can understand this. Uh, people ask me this all the time. Well, what's your goal for that? What's your plan for that? And I go, oh, I've got one. Eric, is it written down? Oh, no. It's, it's in there somewhere. I'm sure I have one. You know, you, we do this to ourselves, don't we? Like, are you going to lose weight? Sure, sometime. You know, what's your plan? I don't know. I'm just going to will it off, right? It doesn't work. 13% had unwritten goals, which is no goal. And 84% had no goals at all. You know why? Because they believe the cultural lie, it's going to be fine. Life's just going to happen. It's all good. We're just going to go with the flow, whatever that is. Now, I will tell you this. Ten years later, 3% of individuals, the top 3%, with written goals, had a higher net worth than the other 97% combined. That's not in your notes. This one is, because I think this is more astonishing. And that is the 3% with written goals and plans earned, anybody know? 10 times as much as all the other 97% combined. Let, let that blow your mind. 
3% made 10 times more than the other 97 altogether because they had written, clear, set plans that they began to live into. This is true in your Christian life. What's astounding to me is that people in business and in academics and other parts of life, they'll, they'll put this in place. But then when it comes to their spiritual life, with their actual eternal destiny and, and their spiritual life, they're winging it. It, it almost seems un, for some, in some movements, not our tradition, we're Methodists, we have a method for everything. But in other traditions, it almost seems unspiritual to have a goal, a Christian goal. Some of the people that have walked closest to Christ that I know of had goals like, I'm going to memorize one scripture a week to where I have it inside me and I know it. Other people had a goal of, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Others had a goal of, I'm going to pray for five minutes every day uh, on my way to work. Others had a goal of, I'm going to serve somebody this week. Others had a goal. And they began to walk with Jesus and they learned how to do that. And they lived into it. Our written goal here at Acts 2 is to help what kind of people? Non-religious folks and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. Now, think about this. Think of, think of any non-religious person you might know. How many of them are dying to go to worship? Not many. Why would a non-religious person go to worship a God they don't know? They wouldn't. Worship is not the primary entry point for a non-religious person. So if we're actually going to live into our written goal of helping non-religious folks, we have to provide and create, right? A smart person would create other avenues for them to be introduced to the Christian life, introduced to Jesus, introduced to the ways of the Spirit. That will happen better in your home, uh, in a coffee shop, or perhaps in a gymnasium next door, or perhaps in a Mother's Day Out program, or a child care facility, or, 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 and, and, and. Not worship. Now, the non-active Christians, yeah, okay, I get the worship thing, I'll come to worship. But not the non-religious. It makes no sense. Does that make sense to you? We need a different avenue to reach those folks. So for the non-religious, worship is a mighty big first step. It makes no sense to them. Now, sometimes people kind of catch it. They, they watch what God's doing in a worship service, uh, at communion. They experience God for the first time, and it can be powerful, but it's normally not their first step. So let me ask you this. If preparation is so powerful... Why don't more people do it? Why don't we do it? For the answer to that, I'm going to bring up Mike Crandall. Because this is what he does as his life's work. He teaches people how to grow and change. um, How to prepare so that wonderful new things can happen. Will you all welcome him with me? Good morning on this very beautiful Sunday. Uh, For those of you that might not know what Ad Council Chair means... Uh, Every Methodist church has an administrative council, and I sit as the chairman of that. So kind of think chairman of the board, it sounds way cooler than it is in most situations. But that means that I get to lead the group that helps make some of the crucial decisions for this. So I, I want you to think about a couple of things here really quick. I want you to think about what's comfortable and what's uncomfortable. When we talk about some of the big words that have already been introduced in this sermon or in this sermon series like preparation, in sacrifice, in growth, in change, there's things that are naturally easy and comfortable for us and many things that are not. So I want you to rewind a few minutes to when you were coming into service. If Mark grabbed you uh, and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, would you be okay delivering 10 minutes of the sermon for me today? How many of you would be super comfortable with that immediately? Not very many. 
That's because there are things that we do that are inside our comfort zone and things that are outside our comfort zone. So we're going to talk about the words growth and change here quickly, and I want you to follow along. There's a few things that you can make notes of in your uh, notes there. But let's talk about change first. When most of us think about growth and change, what we really want is we want some type of different interactions. Now, that could be in your professional life where I spend a lot of my work, as Mark said. Maybe it's different interactions with your employees or your teammates or your clients or your prospects. Maybe that's in your personal life. Maybe you want different interactions with your spouse or your kids or your your siblings. Maybe you want different interactions with Jesus. But in order for us to have different interactions, we have to have different actions. And that means that we have to do something differently. We tend to think that if they would just do this, it would all work out. That is not true in most situations. We have to have different actions. But in order for us to have different actions, we have to have different thoughts. We have to have different thoughts. Because our thoughts drive our actions, and our actions drive our interactions. Now, this is a challenge when we lay it into what's called our comfort zone. In your sermon notes, there's a circle. That circle is designed to represent your comfort zone. For those of you that are note takers and like to follow along, I encourage you to write that in there. We all, in some way, shape, or form, live in a comfort zone. There are things around us that are supernatural, easy, and comfortable. There are all sorts of things that are outside that comfort zone. How many of you have heard that term before today, comfort zone? And if you have, that's awesome. If you haven't, that's okay. But those of you that have, generally you hear it in this context. You just need to get outside your comfort zone and do it, which sounds really easy, but most of us never get there. I want you to think about all the things that you want in your life that you do not have today. Maybe they're relationships. Maybe they're interactions. Maybe they're something physical and tangible. All of those things you just thought about are outside of your comfort zone. If they were inside your comfort zone, you would already have them. I want you to think about that for a second. If they were inside your comfort zone, you would already have them. Now, why is this so difficult? Most of us hear somebody tell us what to do. You just need to get outside your comfort zone and do it. What most of us really need to get better is some understanding of how. So let's talk about how we grow. And this is some of your sermon notes. For those of you that are note takers, I encourage you to write these first thing, these things in. Step one in all growth is awareness. Awareness. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to think about people in your life. Some of you know this person as immediately as I begin to describe them. They're a person that comes up to you and says, I am a great listener. And then for 20 minutes, they tell you how great of a listener they are without taking a breath. How many of you know that person? If they're in the room, do not point at them. It gets really awkward. But can you see where there's an awareness gap? Usually it's not anywhere near that. It's much more subtle. Sometimes we don't even know. The second, second step in all growth is knowledge. Knowledge is information we take in. When we listen to a sermon, it's knowledge. When we read a book or we read the Bible, it's knowledge. When we listen to a podcast or go see a speaker, it's knowledge. That's where most of us stop because all of us, myself included, have had this happen. We heard something, said, that's a great idea. I'm going to do it. And then we never did it. We never got to the next step, which is application. Application is where I begin to do something. I take and implement the idea. I ask the question. I take some step. 
Now, the first time you do something new, how often does it work out perfectly? Never. (laughs) Never. And it's usually awkward and uncomfortable. We have to apply it a bunch to turn it into a skill. Skills are things that we have with some level of comfort. We don't have to put a ton of thought and energy into them. But ultimately, we want to change our habits. Habits are things that we do or say without thinking. So let's think about the habit of praying. I want you to pretend you're at a luncheon or some type of meeting, and somebody says, hey, there's about 50 people in the room. Would you stand up and pray out loud for us? How many of you started to feel a little bit funny inside, even with me just saying that? Because that's not a habit you have. Now, I want, to think, I want you to think about habits here for a second. I want you to think about when we listen to Andy or Mark specifically pray. If they were in that situation, somebody asked them, they would do it without a heartbeat, without a problem at all, because that's part of their habit. Now, but most of us stop at that knowledge. We get awareness, we maybe get some knowledge, and then we've got kind of a big, heavy line there. We never get beyond that. Now, when I put these five bullet points on a slide and I kind of go through them, it seems pretty simple, but it's not easy because there are four things... There are four things inside of us and in our lives that make it very difficult to grow and change. First one of those is fear. A couple of weeks ago, there was a sermon that was delivered here about fear and how crippling fear is. We all have things we're afraid of, myself included. But until we have awareness of what that is, we can't go through those growth steps. Here's the other three you might not be aware of. Apathy. Apathy, by definition, is I'm already comfortable. I don't need any help. I'm good. The next one is ignorance. And the last one, and sometimes the most dangerous, is ego. As I went through those four things, how many of you immediately thought about somebody you know and you went, oh, there's their problem? If we filled this entire room with people that you know, some of them would think about you because you don't necessarily have the awareness. Now, this journey of growth and change is challenging. When we think about sacrifice and we think about doing things that are outside our comfort zone, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. And most of us need to figure out what that first step is. Now, when we take this and we lay it across the capital campaign and the things that we've talked about the last couple weeks and that we'll continue to talk about, when we look at sacrifice and preparation and growth and change, those are big, scary things if we don't start to take them apart if we don't start to take them apart. What I want you to think about is that everybody has to start somewhere. Many of you have heard or seen somebody and you went, oh, they make it so easy. It's just easy for them. It didn't start out easy. There's a phrase that I hear frequently in my world, well, they were just an overnight success. There is no such thing as an overnight success. Those people went through these steps. I watched a speaker a couple years ago deliver a talk about how he built his business, and he said, yeah, the greatest challenge is that everybody thinks I was an overnight success. He said, it only took me 10 years to become an overnight success. But most of us don't see that first nine years, 364 days. We just see the day it became success. So I want you to think about the word luck. Mark talked about preparation, but I want you to think about luck. Most of us have somebody that we've thought about in our lives going, oh, they're just lucky. You know what luck is? Luck is when we prepare for an opportunity and those intersect. Luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Now, how do we do this? How do we get better? Three big bullet points I want you to leave with today. I want you to think about your thoughts. 
In order to have any growth and change, we have to think differently. And once we think differently, then we can act differently. We can act differently. Our thoughts drive our actions, but if we don't evaluate and reevaluate and challenge our thoughts, we will never get outside that comfort zone. We will remain stuck. Once I get to thoughts and actions, then and only then will I have some different interactions. Now, this sounds really easy, but it's not. It's hard. It requires intentionality and diligence. And when Mark gives you action steps at the end of the sermon today, you might want to think about how these fit in. All of those things that we want in our lives, professionally or personally or in our faith, are outside our comfort zone. They're outside our comfort zone. Mark, I'm going to have you back come up. Can you show your appreciation to Mike? Thanks. All right. So truth is truth, right? Say it with me. Truth is truth. And this is true in all parts of our life. So what does the Bible say? Why is this Genesis 12 such a pivotal moment? And why is it important for our graduates to know and for all of us to know? Well, I want you to think about Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. What's going on there is God's creating the heavens and the earth. He, he speaks, and the big bang happens, and light and darkness. And then the next thing you know, boom, the, he, he makes the world. He spins it into order, uh, water and day and night and land and animals. And the next thing you know, the world as we know it begins to form in Mesopotamia. Now, in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, what you find is you, you move from this primeval history, this huge piece of entire world, down, 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 down to Mesopotamia, down to a single family in a certain location, to the mind of a single individual, to the heartbeat of a single individual. That's how God does his work. The mind and the heart of Abraham. You could say that the entire Bible is changes from Genesis 1 through 11 to the scripture we read this morning, to Abraham. Scripture says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that, say it with me, I will show you. That is no answer at all, is it? Just go. This is, this is as the world as we've ever known it, and you just go. Where? I'll show you. That doesn't feel like much of a plan, does it? So then Abram has to begin to follow what is, what is God going to show him. And so our question, uh, there's two questions. The first one is this. How do, say it with me, we know what God is calling us to do, Okay. How do we know what God is calling us to do? This is really important because, first of all, I'm sure that there may be some folks here that think you know what church is, but you don't know what church is. Some people think that church is, is coming up, showing up, and listening to a speaker that has some religious language in it, and then going home. That's not church. That's not church. Other people think that it's finding a group of like-minded folks who have sort of the same political ideology that you do, or religious ideology that you do, and hanging out together. That's not church. Uh, the thing is, if you think of yourselves as individuals, all of you can kind of come and do what you want and maybe show up or maybe not show up. That's not church. Church is the very people of God committed to God and one another, love one another. That's how the world will know what church is as an outpost, as an actual physical reality of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. 
That's what church is. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen in a building. It can happen outside a building. It can happen in Africa or Europe or here, South America, wherever. It can happen. It, 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 in the West, we often don't understand church at all. So this, how do we know what God's calling us to do? We can only know that if each of us, how do, say it with me, I know what God is calling me to do. That's how church works. So as together, the church has to decide what God is calling us to do. Each of us who make up the church have to decide what is God calling me to do. Now, here's the difference between church and world. In the world, in corporate life, corporate says this is what we're doing. Get on board or get out. Isn't that the way the world works? Isn't that the way corporate is? That's not church. Church says, what is God calling you to do? How does that intersect with what God is calling us to do? And as we discern that together, we discern what God is calling us to do by knowing what God is calling you to do. And you know what God's calling you to do because you know what God is calling us to do. Does that begin to make sense to you? That's what church is about. And that's how churches move and grow and bring the kingdom of God. So this is what I want you to know. God's calling is, say it with me, real. It's absolutely real. It's real uh, for Abraham. It's true for Jacob. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Jesus. It all starts with Abram's faithfulness that all the nations will be blessed. But make no mistake, friends. God's call is in response to a particular need. Right? Moses is called to free his people from slavery in Egypt after 400 years. God's call to Moses is about a particular need. That's true for all of our life. And I believe this. You don't have to believe this. We don't have to be aligned on this necessarily. But I want you to know where my heart is. I truly believe that each person in this room has a calling that only you can address. I really do. That God has placed you in a particular place, in a particular time, to address a particular need in the world. That God is ready to use you, is ready to bless others through you, if you're open to it. And the more people are open to it, the more peace and love and kindness and heaven comes to earth. The fewer the worse it is. This is not hard to see in our world. And so graduates know this is true for you as well. There are certain things that only you're going to be able to do next year. For some of you, you're going to get a roommate that's super weird and awkward. You just will. And, and you're going to be in a conversation. And, and, and maybe God comes up or not. And, and here's the thing. There's going to be a temptation for you to say, you know, you should call Pastor Mark. And your roommate's going to go, I don't know Pastor Mark. That's weird. Or you can begin to talk to them and develop a relationship with them. With them. Does it make sense? So you, as a roommate, have a particular call and witness to your roommate. They're going to know Jesus by you. Same way for those of us who are parents. No one can love your children for you. Not in the same way that you can, or a parent, or a sister, or a brother, or a cousin, right? You're particularly made to address the particular needs in your world. So you say, okay, well, what is our need as a church, and how do we know? Sometimes it's fairly clear. Um, on Thursday, I got a secret video, a hidden camera secret video from inside the church. I was in San Diego at a training, and this came across my phone. I was like, what in the world is that? And they said, wait for it. I want, I want you to see what someone sent me. This is crazy. That's our chapel. That's where Andy does one church on Friday night. We just remodeled it, put in new flooring, new carpet, new paint, new monitors. We have monkeys riding tricycles. 
Where's Miss Sweet? I want to know too. Where's Miss Sweet? This, this is not a promotional video for our CDO. Um, but this is Callie in the back. This is her workspace so that she can get this worship service ready for you. And you might say to yourself, hmm, it wasn't even raining on Thursday. No, it was not. But it was still muddy from Wednesday, which means all the kids that were normally outside are in the only space big enough to house them on our campus. Does this look like a good plan to you? No. We need to plan and prepare differently for what God would have us do to reach more people. We actually have a, you can't see it, but there's actually a a table set up over there to keep the kids off the very expensive equipment, right? Bless you, Callie. We're all praying for you now until we get the new facility built, all right? So here's the thing that you really need to know, and everybody needs to know this, that God chooses individuals as his response. He does. The world uh, was a complete mess, and he calls Abram. The world was a complete mess again, he calls Noah. The world was a complete mess, he calls Moses. The world's a complete mess, he's calling you. He's calling you for your circle of influence, where you are. And the question is, how do we respond? God's promise to us is this. I will make of you a great nation. That's what he says to Abram. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be, say it with me, blessed. So all these things we do are not for our own blessing, although that often happens. Not always, but often. Others are blessed. As you're blessed, the world is blessed. So the result is the world is, say it again with me, blessed. Which means um, things are happening the way God wants them to happen. So here's the thing that where we really have to drill down on discernment very quickly. If your plan doesn't need God to accomplish it, it's not a calling. It's not of God. So if you think to yourself this afternoon, oh, well, I could do that, and you just do it, that's not God. That's not. That's just you. Dreams and visions of God require God's participation. On the other end of that spectrum, if you say to me, that your calling requires a miracle of God at every step, you don't have a plan. You really don't, right? It drives me crazy when people are like, oh, Pastor Mark, I'm going to help you build that building. I'm like, you are, yeah, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm like, you don't even have a ticket. That is not a plan. It's maddening, right? That doesn't work. But I meet people like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. No, it's not. It's not. It, It requires our participation with God. And um, miracles happen that you can't even think or imagine. That's what Ephesians 3, 20, and 21 says. And I want to show you an example that happened just uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm Ruby Moy. I ended up coming here to the, gosh, the second service. And I met three people. Um, Pastor Mark was the third person. And I realized he had a badge, uh, like a gold badge. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're the senior pastor. He's like, yes, I am. And he introduced my, himself. And I don't know, I just felt peace. That Sunday morning, I knew I was at peace here. And the coming back, of course I'm going to come back to home. It's peaceful. It feels right deep in my soul. I know that sounds corny, but it's deep inside. No matter where I am on this campus, inside the church, I'm at peace. But I felt even more at peace, if that's even possible, um, at one church. And um, just uh, Pastor Andy and just everyone there is just so welcoming. It's just wonderful, this community there. My hope for uh, the future of Acts 2 Church and One Church would be that 
the Holy Spirit would just continue to just work through Pastor Mark and work through Pastor Andy and the staff just to continue to just be humble and to serve so that um, the message of God can just be delivered and that we can continue to grow and so that we can go out there and be a light in the world. Um, that's really what I hope. So I really hope that, you know, for this upcoming campaign, um, I hope that uh, each of us that are members here uh, at Acts 2 and One Church, that we pray um, as to how God's going to lead us to, to give faithfully. Um, it may be difficult for some of us, me included, but I'm going to pray and trust in the Lord. Now, this is so important, friends, that we understand this. Because this every time we do something new, uh, we kind of catch our breath like, is that going to work? Uh, what's going on? And somebody will say, oh, don't question God. Just have faith. No. Around here we say, have faith and ask your questions. Ask your questions. And allow God to answer your questions. Look at your plan. Look at your preparation. Ask the questions. When we began one church, we planned for that for years. Uh, we executed that plan about a year ago. And as we were getting ready to execute, I had congregants come to me and said, Mark, this is terrible. You're going to split the church. Half the people are going to go like Andy, and the other people are going to like you. And then it's going to go, and it's going to be terrible. You should never do this. And so Andy and I said, what are we going to do? And we developed a plan. And we prepared to show the unity. We began to preach on the same sermons. We began to make sure we were messaging the same way to the church, that we were doing two different churches within a church. But we made sure that people understood that God calls us together to do the ministry together. Amen? And he had 95 people on Friday. May the fourth be with you. It was awesome. It was great. And so Ruby came here, experienced the Holy Spirit here, and then felt led to become a part of our one church community on Friday nights. It's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing. But it's, it was the questions that came out of our preparation that allow us to stay united and not divided and move forward. In the same way, when we talk about the children's building, there, of course there are questions. We want you to have questions. We need to be able to wrestle with those and begin to work those out. So how do we do this? Um, friends, I want you to really perk up here and, and pay attention because this could change your life. When you want to know what God's calling is for you, because it's super important, number one, Seek God in formal prayer. Uh, there are written prayers that have been written over thousands of years. Uh, we also have prayer vigils here so that you can have uninterrupted, uh, quiet time. Uh, Chantel has a sign-up sheet. This is really low-tech, but we're just going to pass it around. It starts Friday uh, after worship at one church in the chapel, and it's going to run for 24 hours. And so the, it starts on Friday and runs all the way through Saturday. We'll have folks here uh, to be with you and to pray with you. We hope you'll come. If you can't, just note that on there that I'm going to pray from home and let us know that. But it'll be much better. You'll hear God more clearly normally if you're not interrupted, if you're able to come and pray. Uh, we'll have the chapel open for you. Secondly, then, you can find God in your everyday activity. It's not just at church. It's not just when you're praying that you can actually begin to what Paul says, pray without ceasing. He says to the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always, say it with me, pray without ceasing. You can actually do that where every tree, every bird, every meeting is an opportunity to see Christ in all circumstances. And you give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Pay attention to what the spirit is doing. Pay attention to how you feel inside. It's very important. Your feelings can guide you. Not in all things, but in many things you can know. So 
Um, again, since we're talking about making a plan and really using your noodle and thinking things through, we also want you to pay attention to your heart. St. Ignatius of Loyola used to talk about consolation or desolation because there are spiritual forces at work in the world, some for your good and some for your harm. And so the way he would talk about it, um, and this has been wisdom for hundreds of years now, so graduates pay attention to this, there are going to be times that when you're in a relationship or you're in a conversation uh, or when you leave a situation or you leave a class or or you leave something, you find yourself feeling kind of depressed or down or anxious or hurt or just confused. You need to pay attention to that and step away from that. God's trying to help you. There are other times that when you have a conversation, when you pray, when you read a scripture, you start to feel more joy in your life or you start to kind of recalibrate. You're like, oh, I'm kind of pulling out of my funk. And, and those things, pay attention to that and step into that. Does it make sense? People ask me all the time when they're trying to choose between two jobs, right? A lot of young people in their 20s, they'll come to me and say, Pastor Mark, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'll say, well, how do you feel? And normally the biblical witness is it goes down one of two tracks. One is what I'll call the rent-a-center track. You go to rent-a-center, and they say, this big screen TV that you could never afford goes home with you today. And you go, wow, that's great. How easy is that? And then you get it home, and it's a little fuzzy. It doesn't work quite what you win. You, you make your first payment, your second payment, third payment, fourth payment. Six months in, you have a hunk of junk that you can't sell for anything, and you still owe a grand on it. And you're behind. And it feels worse and it feels worse and it feels worse and it feels worse. You, you want to throw it away, but you can't. You can't get rid of it. Some of you have done with this cars. Some of you have done this in a home. Some of you, see, does it make sense? Right? You're going to, kids, when you go to college, they're going to try to give you a credit card. And they're going to say, hey, you got a $5,000 limit. You don't have a job. You have no way to pay that limit. You're going about to have a really nasty conversation with mom and dad if you spend it. Right? So that is desolation. The renaissance trap. Do not fall for that. Conversely, when you look at the life of Abram, Moses, David, Joseph, Jesus, the calling that God has on their life, at first, God says, hey, Moses, I want you to free my people from Egypt. Moses is like, no, that's a terrible idea. I could never do that. And as he begins to walk into it, he goes, well, I could do that. I could do that. What about this? And our Savior Jesus walks into that. Difficult at times, sweats blood in the garden at times, but ultimately leads to the very salvation of the world. The world changes by faithful consolation. The scripture says that Moses and God freed the people from Egypt. The scripture says David defeated Goliath. The scripture says that the angels came and ministered to Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove at his baptism, and he raised from the dead. God continued to console him and to bless him, and he felt better and better about it. Does it make sense? So if you're thinking, should I do this or this, and one at, uh, at the first of it leaves, like, I could never do that without God, then that's probably God. If, on the other hand, you think you could do it on your own, that's just you. Or if, on the other hand, you think, oh, I'm going to win the lottery. No. Does it make sense? You can actually step into that the rest of your life. It'll make a wonderful difference for you. So as a way to step into this, I want us to begin by doing a formal prayer together uh, that I wrote this week. Let's just share in this prayer together. Jesus, let us see you. Let me see you in my experiences. Let me hear you in the scriptures, in the silence, in my heart, and in my mind. Help me to the right action, to the right word. 
Help me to give the example that will reveal you best. We love you. Help us love you and one another as you have taught us. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.